Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, the MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. And joining me is my co-host from the left coast, Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben Hameen. I thought maybe you'd say something about me shooting billiards with midgets until the rain stopped. You know, I... uh... I really pondered over a lot of lyrics for today's episode and just couldn't figure out a good one to use. So um, my, my apologies for not, uh, not, not coming up with something goofy for you this go round. Yeah, breaking tradition. Yeah, well, I got a good one for next episode, I promise. I really do. Redeem right. yourself. I will. So for this episode, we're joined by a very special guest. You could consider him a double threat. Not only does he write some fantastic music with his bands, The Delines and Richmond Fontaine, but he's also an accomplished author whose latest book, Don't Skip Out on Me, was nominated for the Penn Faulkner Award. Last year, his novel Lean on Pete was made into a movie, which uh, I just watched last night on Amazon Prime. So All right. please welcome to the podcast, Willie Vlotten. Uh, no, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So we finally got you on the podcast. You've uh, you've been a pretty busy person, um, attending award ceremonies, touring Europe with your band. Because um, I mean, we've been trying to make this happen since what, like March? Yeah, I've been touring. I think this is the most I've toured in, in years, uh, and I'm finally I'm finally home, which is which is really nice. Uh, and it's nice I still have a home. Uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I've been busy. That's true. You have been busy. You were so you were a referral from Jonathan Evison, who we had on our Fast Times at Ridgemont High soundtrack episode. So you have some yeah. big shoes to fill. Yeah, Johnny's one of my favorite people. Um, um, I don't know if you've ever been to his garage. He has just thousands of records, and uh, he's one of those guys that can write uh, to music. Like he can he can write listening to uh, like Coltrane or or uh, or uh, Mud Honey. Uh, and you know, I can't, I can't even tie my shoes basically when I listen to music. Uh, I've never been able to write to music and, uh, but that guy is just a genius, man. He, he's just one of the coolest. He, he did invite us to the garage or the man cave or whatever he's calling it. So next time I am up in uh, Washington, uh, I'm definitely taking him up on the offer. So you might need a lobotomy after, after it, but, uh, (laughs) if you remember it, you'll have a really nice time. I was going to say, so not everyone that comes on the podcast is going to share stories about having to hose off boogers off of a dresser. Like uh, like Johnny did, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, he's a wild cat, that's for sure. Uh, it was a lot of fun. All right, so before we jump into some questions, so we ask all of our guests the all important question. So, what T-shirt are you wearing, Willie? Well, I wear and I have like four of them, which is Dead Moon. Uh, I'm uh, a huge fan of a band out of Portland called Dead Moon, um, and Fred Cole, the the, the lead guy, songwriter, uh, passed away a few years back, but they've always been my favorite band. And so I, I always wear dead moon shirts and, you know, I've seen them maybe she's probably 60, 70 times. And I probably bought a dozen shirts of the same shirt because I'd get so drunk and I'd have to buy one uh, just because I love the band so much, even though I already had them. Uh, so that's what I'm wearing. I think that's so, the reason why Wayne has so many t-shirts is you're probably making those purchases, Wayne off of uh you know, some, some copious amounts of drinking man on the moons. Is that, and then pull no. the trigger on Amazon prime. Uh, 
I don't like to spend money when I've when I've been drinking. So I, I just buy I you've just started an addiction. I've always loved t-shirts and now I just have I feel like I have a reason, justification. <laughs> yeah, man, All I right. do that same thing like uh I just I had to have a couple of drinks to buy this Jack Tea Garden, this old uh thing it's called Think Well of Me. I'm vinyl. It's an old one of his and it's it's a beautiful record. And um and it was 50 bucks and i was like man i don't deserve a record that costs 50 bucks but i've always wanted it on on vinyl so i, I had a couple tequilas and i was like man you're not such a bad guy and, and that's fine. <laughs> you deserve this yeah yeah exactly uh yeah you know i say that to myself and i don't even need the the couple tequilas so well that always... well you'll feel better for it yeah exactly <laughs> Exactly. All right, Wayne, how about you? What t-shirt are you wearing? Uh, I just recently got this. Uh, it's, a, it's a David Bowie concert poster t-shirt from the Insular uh, Tour in 1976 was support of Station to Station. And this is for the three days they did at the uh, Great Western Forum in Inglewood. Awesome. All right. So I'm I'm also wearing a new t-shirt. I, I got a Amazon Prime uh, gift card and I took full advantage of it. So I am finally wearing, uh, getting around to wearing my Clash London Calling album cover t-shirt. So finally, finally pulled the trigger and bought a Clash t-shirt. Good job. Yes. Notice that I didn't start with our usual tagline of saying the premise of our podcast is we talk about music because I want to talk some literary stuff with with Willie first. And, uh, you know, since I had a few months to prep for this episode, I did read a few of your books, thoroughly enjoyed both. I, let's start with The Free first. So why did you not call it The Free and The Brave? Because I, the reason why I say this is I, I found a few of your characters extremely brave through all of their adversities. And, and really, I found both Freddie and Pauline brave characters who could have easily given up at any time. So, so where, where is the, where is the, the, the free coming into, into the, 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 the book's title? Well, I, it was kind of my state of the union, land of the free home of the brave. And, um, and um, I think it you know, Freddie, uh, Pauline and Leroy, uh, they're all not free. They're the opposite of free. They're stuck. Yeah. Uh, Freddie's stuck uh, because he can't pay his medical bills. He's stuck in kind of a dead-end job. Um, super high uh, medical costs for his daughter, and he's kind of drowning in debt. And Pauline's stuck uh, trying to care for her elderly father, and, and, and Leroy's, uh, you know, injured his comeback uh, from Iraq, and he's, he's in a group home. And so I, it was kind of my way of trying to talk about like healthcare and nursing in, in America right now. So, so, I mean, with, with, uh, with some of your characters, you definitely write about the working class folk. And, and I think that there's really a deeper side to each one of them. I mean, um, your most recent book, the, you know, the main character in it, Horace Hopper, you know, he seems like just a ranch hand who is trying to chase this this uh, this boxing career, but I think he's also chasing some some pretty serious demons and trying to 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 find his own self worth. And I think that that's is that is that a pretty good summation of 
of Horace and and really going back to Freddie and Pauline that you know they're they're also trying to to chase some of their own self worth in in this I mean, journey we call life. Well, I think well yeah, I, I mean in. in I usually write in, in themes or, or ideas for each book, and, and I was interested in um, a couple of things with uh, uh, Don't Skip Out of Me. One was identity. Um, like, this here's a kid who was uh, raised to be ashamed of himself. Uh, he's raised by a racist white grandmother, uh, but he's part Native American, um, and his grandmother uh, was racist against him. So is it, he's a really lonely, kind of beat up, kid when we meet him and i was interested in that idea of him wanting to escape the shame of who he thinks he is because he has none of the the benefits and the and the beauty of his ethnic identity um he's he's as lone as a guy can be because he has none of that um so i was i was interested in the idea of him wanting so bad to to be accepted and to be to find his own place in the world that he decides to become or try to become somebody completely different, which for him at 20 years old, he thinks the coolest thing there is, is a Mexican boxer, um, which I've, you know, I, I always grew up loving boxers and, um, and, uh, and I always thought they were the toughest and they're the most machismo and all that. So I think he's just a young kid going down a wrong road because he's so scarred up. So I was interested in that. And then I was interested in the, the idea of, the old man that he works for, the the Reese's, if if uh, if this if the love of this old couple who don't have much to offer, can can you save uh, a kid, or can you uh, unburden the kid of the scars he has, or is you know by the time they meet him, is it too late? Like, can you lift the the scars of you know childhood trauma? So I was interested in, in those. I think with with the free, I was more interested in in, in the burden of the working class uh, in terms of healthcare like how hard it is for a guy that works at a paint store to get a, a huge debt uh a healthcare debt um and i mean we're all struggling about with that and especially if you work for yourself or or, or you have a, a family member or loved one with a you know severe injury or or illness um so i was interested in that and then and and then with pauline i think she's sim similar to to horace and that she's just been a pretty isolated kind of a beat up person and uh she's trying to not shut herself off from the world and try to, to try to connect with people which is really hard for her yeah it's it's funny that you would say that because the my next note is both novels seem like talking about the perils of isola isolationism yeah i mean i mean that's you know one of my um i probably write about that in every book i mean i think most writers have their the blood that goes through their books. And, and that's definitely mine just cause that's just what I, you know, I'm trying to figure that out in my own life and it just can't help but happen in the stories. Cause that's just the way, the way I, you know, uh, think about things and, and the, that's the stuff I struggle with. Yeah. And, and going back to your point about the, the, the Reese's and, and trying to save Horace, they're also, they're also experiencing the isolationism as well. And you, yeah. you write about the, the, the shepherd who, you know, I can't remember his name right now, but he essentially goes crazy being on the top of the mountain by himself with just a bunch of sheep. So much so that, you know, they end up cutting him loose um, from, from being one of their farmhands. So 
definitely. Yeah, there is. That is right. Like uh, the, the 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 novel's kind of a study in in loneliness and isolation, especially "Don't Skip Out of Me," especially where I did. Yeah, it's a, the old ranch couple live on a Nevada ranch in the middle of nowhere, and um, and the and the wife of that is kind of an agoraphobic on top of that. So she's even isolated right. in an isolated community. She's even isolated herself further, and. You know, I was on a horseback riding trip in Eastern Oregon um, a few years back, and I came across a, a Peruvian sheep herder that was maybe, man, we were like 30 miles from the nearest paved road, maybe 20 from from a from a, like a logging road even. And he he was just out there by himself uh, with like three dogs sleeping on a blue tarp, and the guy that was supposed to drop him food just didn't drop him food, just didn't show up. And here's a guy that doesn't even speak Spanish, yet alone English. And, um, and he, his, his one link to, to the world is, is this old rancher that, that just sometimes brings him food and sometimes doesn't. And, you know, the, the, the sheep herder can live off the sheep and he can get by, but, but just that kind of that neglect and that isolation that really stopped me in my tracks and, when I saw that guy and saw how, you know, how far away he is from everything he understands and knows, I, um, I just, I, I couldn't get it out of my mind. So that's why I put that section in the novel. So this is this is me being the aspiring writer and trying to pick the brains of authors that I admire. So do you do you write in scenes? So some of these chapters become scenes, and then you try and figure out how to interwove them into. The, the the novel itself or or do you kind of see things from a large canvas and you're like oh this is where this needs to go etc i mean it is a it is a, it's a really hard craft novels because they take so long it's just so time intensive and you you you, you know you go down one wrong idea and it might cost you six months um so and i've made man i made every you know that book was 700 pages at one point so oh. I, I obviously really uh, made some wrong choices along the way and then had to go refix them. But, but in general, my ideas like with the sheep herding and stuff was just to show uh, isolation and loneliness and, uh, you know, and, and humans just are not supposed to be by themselves that much. And, um, and, and, and cruelty. I, you know, I was thinking um, about how cruel it is to do to yourself and for, for people to, uh, hire guys and send them out like really vulnerable people. I've always been interested in, in vulnerable people and working class people in vulnerable situations um, because I think they're the most difficult to get out of. Um, and it's a slog to get out of them. And there's no, like, you're not going to be hitting any serious payday soon. You just have to figure out chess moves enough to get yourself out of bed and go to work. And, and hopefully you can get out of the jam you're in. Um, but uh, in general, I, I, I start with like larger ideas and themes, and then um, and then I usually over a, over a cup of coffee I could tell you the kind of the arc of the novel, and then I make and then I so I kind of have the big characters and all the ideas in place, and then and then I just kind of screw up along <laughs> along the way until uh, until I, I I get it right, which you know can t- take years. Well, for your last novel, you got it right. So I, I oh, haven't read it. I haven't read any of the other nominees, but after I read that, I'm like, ah, this one is going to stick with me for a long time. Um, yeah, I like that kid a lot. You know, I mean, he, he yeah. wants so bad. Uh, like guys, I grew up. I grew up with a couple guys that were the opposite of rebellion, and I was just kind of the same. Where 
your life isn't so it's kind of shaky enough that you're there's nothing to rebel against you 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 do the opposite you want to try to get along and 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 help the situation because it's you don't know how how stable it is um and so i've always been interested in in guys like Horace Hopper who he's not a rebellious kid he just desperately wants a solid place to land and um and i've always been interested in that verse like in the free uh, um like captain and the the the, the drifter boys right. that, that you come across um and that idea of, of of giving up on society and and rebelling against everything uh i think both of those are really interesting takes on on pain um but i've always been more interested in the guy that, that, that desperately is trying to follow and a solid place to land and he just can and you know with horace he's just the, the, i love that kid he's just he's so ambitious and and beat up and um you know like a lot of young guys he just he makes a, some bad decisions sometimes you can get yourself out of the ditch and sometimes you can't right and i kind of saw that same theme when i watched lean on pete last night with uh with the the, the charlie character of of you know trying to get out of these situations where you know he, he didn't he didn't cause any of these particular situations um you know with his dad being well I won't spoiler alert but but decisions that 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 were sort of out of his control um and there's there's that theme of isolationism that comes up uh, especially when he has to trudge through his uh, his journey alone how close is that movie to the book since i haven't read the book yet i mean yeah i mean i think you go into a little bit more in the book on um his his dad's one of those guys it's he his dad's like a really cool bad older brother who just kind of comes and goes yeah. and loves him is never mean so the kid knows love he's never he's he's always known a guy that loves him and accepts him and takes care of him with the caveat that some days he just doesn't show up. He's like the older brother that always says he's going to hang out with you and then he ditches you kind of thing. So the kid's got some issues because of that. But really, I was interested in that idea, uh, again, uh, of powerlessness of, of that age 15 where he can't get a driver's license. He can't get a legitimate job. So he's got no access to consistent money and freedom and opportunity. And uh, I hated that age, and um, and I was interested in that. And then also, I you know I was a dozen years I was a big time, I'm not badly, but I love betting on horses, and um, I love I spent all my vacations going to tracks, and I I wrote a few novels at the local track here in Portland. I used to spend three to five days a week there, and um, and then I just started I started breaking up with it. I I, I just can't the, the the hardship on the horses. I um, mean, Portland Meadows is, is a lot of, like Lean on Peep. Uh, I mean, it's pretty down and out. Uh, the horses aren't worth much. The horses aren't going to go anywhere great after their career generally. And uh, it just got, you know, I started feeling too guilty about it. And uh, so I had, to, I had to break up with horse racing and, and me and horse racing broke up over Lean on Pete. So I, I wrote that book trying to keep myself from going to uh, the track. And, and, you know, and then of course I own a, now I own uh, three horses and one's a, an old Portland Meadows racehorse, and you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I'm a sucker, uh, for sure. <laughs> but uh, but that's how I that's how I quit uh, horse racing, and I ride like that too. Uh, where if I have some big problem in my mind, 
or in my life legitimately, uh, I always write stories around it to try to figure it out. And that's what I did with Lean on Pete. Yeah. Uh, and that last half hour leading up to the last five minutes of that movie, you're pretty dang dark. Um, but I felt like there was a, there was a, I won't say it's a happy ending, but at least it's, there's a, a, a little bit, a glimmer of hope at the end. So I'm like, uh, yeah, I wonder, yeah. I wonder if Willie wrote the ending on this. No, this yeah, I, I did. I, I mean, I, I, what I was trying to say with it, with Lean on Pete was, is, is I was getting personally cynical. So I needed to be around someone that wasn't cynical. And Charlie, the kid is so desperately wants a home. Yeah. Um, and he just wants uh, normalcy. And so, uh, his struggle to get there shows like, well, if you don't get help, this is what can happen to you. Like if you don't get help, you could end up as mean as that guy silver in the, um, and the, both in the book and movie, uh, you could end up like a, a bad street kind of guy. And, um, and I think that's what you start seeing in, in the kid, uh, is the, the story goes on. If you don't in life in general, if you don't catch a couple lucky breaks or have someone kind of help you along or hold your hand for a little bit, uh, you can find yourself in some serious trouble. And I think, uh, Charlie's navigating. And, and I think that's why Charlie takes the horse in the first place is he, he sees that the horse is even in a worse situation than he is. Yeah. So, so he feels like, Hey man, I'm going to like a kid dream. He's going to try to save this horse. Um, this failed, you know, hurt race horse that's worth probably 500 bucks, you know? And, um, uh, he's going to do it out of, like trying to help somebody that's less fortunate than himself. So he, he, his heart was in good place. He just got in over his head. It makes you do things that are a little out of character for yourself. Yeah. I mean, the cool thing about that kid is he actually did it. Everybody wants to save somebody or be a hero yeah. or, or attempt to. And, and um, he actually tries to do it. And, but you know, he's not really equipped to it. He didn't really have a plan. And um, he's just a kid. He, he can barely drive a truck. And the next thing you know, he's stealing a racehorse. So, you know, and he doesn't know much about horses. So, he, you know, I love the guy because he, he I, I would have been one of those guys that always wished I would have done that, but I wouldn't have done it because I'd been scared of, that Dell would have, his boss would have gotten too pissed or he'd lose his job or whatever. But I liked that the kid did it. Yeah. And who doesn't like seeing Steven Zahn getting a tire iron to the face, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, he doesn't seem like a scary guy, but man, when I saw that in the movie, I was really oh, scared. Oh, I was scared. Yeah, because he could seduce. You could see, like, there's a lot of like, those kind of like, and I've been around guys like that that they can kind of seduce you with charm, and then they get a little too lit, and then or they're on something and you don't know them that well, and they they turn sideways on you, and they're you know you're like, oh shit, this guy works out, and he's nuts, and right. he's he's an angry guy, and I got to navigate my way out of here without you know, getting killed or, or, uh, you know, uh, having some kind of altercation with them. And, and I think poor Charlie thinks the kid thinks that guy's kind of charming. Um, and you know, obviously that's what happens when you, when you're living too close to the ground, you hang out with people that are living close to the ground and, and, uh, you get yourself in situations that, you know, that kid cannot handle. Yeah. All about survival at that point. Yeah, man, that's a problem. It's like bad jobs and, uh, like when you're really at the bottom, uh, uh, it's ugly. And, um, you know, most people that are scraping by, um, aren't, aren't that kind. Some are, but a lot aren't cause they're upset. And I, that's what I was trying to say with, 
with Dell, the, the, the trainer who Charlie works for, you, you, you're seeing who that's Steve Buscemi's character who uh, is just kind of a failed, he's failed at his life's work. He's kind of an alky, his health's failing, and he's just, he's bitter, and that's the kind of guy that's going to be like the most influential person in, in, the, in a kid's life if you're working for him. And so it's just, it's rough. Yeah. Bushimi is one of my favorite actors. He was so good. Yeah, man, I really like that guy. I, yeah, I mean, good, uh, I've always liked him in all his movies, and he seemed like you know I didn't, I only met him a couple of times, but he seemed like a real cool dude. He's one of those guys that just kind of seems like a pretty legitimately cool guy. So I was really grateful that he got to to, to be in the movie. Yeah, good casting. So let's go back to uh, Don't Skip Out on Me because you actually made a quote unquote soundtrack album for the novel with Richmond Fontaine. And I thought that that was kind of a, a cool and uh, I was going to throw out upon a, a novel idea uh, to to just produce a record of songs that tie to each of the chapters or events within your book. So what what made you think to 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 do that? I mean, I always kind of write all my n- novels kind of start as songs. And I wrote a soundtrack to a novel of mine called Northline. Jeez, I guess that'd be like 10 years ago or 12 years ago. Um and and I sometimes if they feel like music and sometimes they don't like with Northline it was a sad it was a sad book and it felt it was melancholy like a sad song like a um, like a soldier's things on a swordfish trombone uh, just like a dreamy and sad and um and then don't skip out of me had that same kind of sadness I thought Horace's feel this the feel to that kid is uh, uh, sad uh, melancholy and. And so I just started writing them all these songs, you know, like I'd, I'd finish a scene um, and I'd, and it would make me feel a certain way. So I'd write instrumental music. So, but geez, you know, man, I took me three, four years to write this book. And so uh, I, wrote, <laughs> I wrote a lot of instrumental songs. And so then my band, uh, Richmond Fontaine, was, uh, we'd re- just called it a day. We'd re- kind of retired, but I'd always want them, wanted to do an instrumental record. And those guys, they like my instrumental uh, leanings but not enough to do a full record of them I don't think and then but then when we kind of called it a day I called them up and we still had some money in the bank and I was like can we do an instrumental record now and they were all like sure so uh it was really fun we probably rehearsed harder than we had in, in a long time and um and I wanted to make a full-on pedals feel um west like deserty record and um and we got to so uh I'm really proud of the record um because it's you know something I dream I'd always had and I'd always you know I'm a big pedal steel guy and um and I wanted to make one really good Richmond Fontaine pedal steel record and 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 I finally got to do it so and I think it li- links up so every big scene in the in the novel has has a song. That's cool. I, I was going to say is this is this your way to ensure that if that that uh, novel ever makes it into a movie that like Kenny Loggins doesn't end up singing your theme song to your movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's true. But, uh, no, I always think, uh, you know, when I'm writing them, I always think, to think of them in terms of like, you're seeing them in a movie theater. Uh, just, that's, that's just the way I've always written escapism yeah. and, and thinking it's like, a, you know, like, like you're in the middle of a, of a movie. Um, but I, the, you know, I just always lo- loved instrumental music. Uh, uh, since I was a little kid, I've always loved sun- soundtracks. 
and it's just something fun fun to do when you're working on a novel to just tinker on songs that that make you feel like the novel so you know it's it's like the worst business move you could do is write an instrumental songs number one and then instrumentals to uh <laughs> to a book that you just give away yeah. but uh but i you know i never care about stuff like that and uh i just thought it was cool and the guys were into it and uh um you know, maybe they will make a movie of it, and then the guys will get to have a song in the in the movie, and that'd be that'd make me feel really good if if, if that happened. So, so for the two movies that uh, that have been made from your novels, have you been able to get any of your your band's music into either one of those? Yeah, movies? man, both both of them they were really nice to me. Like in Lean on Pete, they they did a Rich and Fontaine song at the very end uh, during the credits called uh, okay. Easy Run. Um, and I was really grateful. It was just nice of them to do it. It was just a total, you know, really nice thing to do, uh, and made the guys feel really good. And then, um, there's a, a song called the boyfriends off of a rich and Fontaine record. And, uh, um, that was in the motel life in the same area. So yeah, yeah, it was really fun. And then, the, you know, it's fun for the band. Um, and it makes you feel good. And, um, you know, it was just nice. Both of the directors were just, just being cool. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. On that note, so I, I will tell you that I was I was listening I was listening to your current record at the same time that I was reading the end of of your most recent novel, and the final song on your your record, The Imperial, is a song called "Waiting on the Blue," which is kind of a, you know it's kind of a dark uh, dark song, but it finishes up that record and that could have easily been the song playing in the background at the end of Don't Skip Out On Me. Oh, I know the night will end. I just get so tired They do kind of all, you know, I was probably writing a lot of those songs when I was working on um, uh, Don't Skip Out On Me. So uh, it, they do, they kind of all live in the same apartment building, the songs and the, and the stories. Because uh, you, your head's so wrapped up in in a novel because it just takes so long and you have so many things to figure out uh, the, that I write a lot of songs uh, over the course of one novel. I'm assuming that uh, I couldn't find any... any uh books of short stories that you might have written but i feel like the imperial is full of short stories is that is that pretty accurate yeah you know i mean i as a kid i was i don't know if you guys remember the band x um oh yeah but oh, they yeah. were my they were like my number one band when i was a little kid and you know early teens and all that and i i wanted so bad to write like uh lyrics like johnny hit and run pauline the world's a mess it's in my kiss uh the phone's off the hook, but you're not um, like, and I could just never come up with those kind of one-liners. I'm just not that smart, not that witty. Um, 
And um, and then when I was about 17, 18, I started listening to like more folk folk songs, and I started writing short stories. And then all of a sudden, I was like, well, I'm not I'm not witty. I can't write catchy tunes, so I'll just write what I like, which is stories story songs. And so about then, I just started writing you know songs with like eight verses and no chorus and not catchy. And 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 then I, I've been battling that my whole life uh, of trying to balance the 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 story in a song versus having it catchy and having melody and um hooks and stuff because you know my band was a very patient band and there's some of my favorite people in the world but man i i used to drive them crazy because you know, i bring in these really long songs that aren't catchy and really dark story songs and um i you know when i was younger i'd get all bummed out if they asked me to like cut it from you know eight to six verses even and um so uh, you know I, i've always written songs and stories uh if that format it just was the way my brain could handle it um and um and so that's what i do today but with with the lines i just think about it through through the eyes of amy um the singer uh, uh so i just think about it in terms of of her and and write songs and thinking about that um but i can't help it and use most of them are stories yeah and amy so we're talking about amy boone who is the lead singer hypnotic are her vocals um r really really uh really puts a nice spin on you know each of these particular i guess you can call them stories call them songs uh i guess they could be intertwined as as both um but uh yeah really re and i'm not just not not just saying that because you're you're a guest on their show i really do truly really dig the imperial it's a really great album yeah, she she was in a band with her sister called the Damnations out of Austin, Texas, and they toured. I mean, they toured for years. They're a real successful band, and re, and we did one tour with them. I think years ago, Rich and Fontaine, and I loved them. The both of the sisters are amazing, and um and so Amy did a tour with us as our keyboard player years later, and um and I used to hear her warm up um like before gigs or just messing around, and she would sing these old kind of soul country soul ballads yeah and uh and i was like holy you know man i want to be in a band with a, a singer like that and i remember there was a the uh guitar player in my band dan dan Eccles, uh um and i would kind of spy on her and, and we'll watch her play and 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 i said man i'd love to be in a band with a good singer and and he looked at me and he said yeah man me too and uh <laughs> which you know because i am the singer in the band it was right it was pretty funny but but anyway, I went, I went, um, uh, I went home and and wrote her a bunch of tunes and um, without her knowing, and you know, wrote like a little thesis letter on why she should join up and we should start a new band because I, like I said, I want, I never liked being in the front of a band, front of a band, and um, I don't like being in the spotlight, and and I wanted to be in a band before I died with a with a singer that I really believed in, and and. And I do. She's great. And she's super cool. She's like one of the nicest people you meet. So it's a lucky run right now. Yeah. And you guys have done a lot of touring over in Europe. Is there a reason why there hasn't been as many dates here in the States? But have you guys latched on to a good audience over there? Um, Rich and Fontaine, my band, years ago, we kind of we could only tour so much, you know, um, for us, like anything after three months, it started like the, the, you start seeing the tears in the band. Like yeah. this is too much for our, uh, 
way we lived. And we were older, you know, we didn't start touring hard until we were 30, maybe uh, late twenties. So we all had lives and we all liked our lives. And, um, um, and I like writing stories and you can't really do that on the road. Uh, so, uh, we just started, we got lucky and started touring Europe and, and we decided, Hey man, let's just tour Europe. Cause I never even had a passport before Fontaine. <laughs> and so, so we just toured over there a ton and, and kind of built up a, a thing. And then the lines have kind of gone off, off that and done even better really. Um, so we've just started touring over there and it's the same sort of thing. The, the gigs over there are really easy. You can always get it, everybody in the van and, and you're getting to see places you might never see. And yeah. both Amy and, and all the guys in the band have, have toured the U S for years. And so I think we will start touring more in the States later on, but right now we're just trying to get our feet back together, uh, our, our legs underneath us. Cause uh, you know, uh, Amy got hurt got hit by a car three years ago and broke Ooh. both her legs and got really beat up. And so we're just, she's just getting back to being able to tour and to, to live a, like her own life um, um, without worrying so much about her health. So, uh, so I think we'll just kind of ease into these European dates for the next year or so. And then maybe we'll start touring the U S I don't know. All right. I'll, I'll keep paying attention to the website and seeing wh- wh- where you guys are at. So yeah, right. hey, we got a big fall tour, and that's about it so far. And then we're going to record a new record. So cool, cool. All right. Well, uh, one last question before we jump into the record that uh, you chose to revisit. So, and this is the, the the question that makes Wayne always cringe, as we're asking all of our guests. So, what's your opinion of Toto's Africa? Good or bad song? I mean, when I was a kid, I liked it just because I never, you know, uh, I didn't know what the hell was go- was going on with that tune. Uh, but I was like, man, I want to go to Africa. And I've always been that way with songs. Like, I don't know what it was really about. It drove me crazy after a while, that tune, I have to admit. But at the beginning, you're like, man, I bet you those guys have been to Africa or maybe they live over there. And so for me, it was just a kind of daydreamy kind of thing. Um, but I guess they were never really one of my favorite bands. And uh, they played the hell out of that tune when I was a kid. So I got burned out on it. But I got to say, man, when I first heard it, I didn't mind it. Wayne, do do you chalk that up for you or for me? Yeah, I, I, that's mine. I'm gonna take that one. <laughs> All right, you're pro pro Africa. No, I am. Toto. I am. I am pro Africa. I'm not. Okay. Well, I get. Yeah, I'm pretty much in the middle of the ground. I like it, and I I, I didn't like it at the same time, so I'm not much help. We're gonna call it a draw Perfect. then. I'm gonna take okay. a draw on that one. Okay. All right. Fair enough. So Willie, tell us what record you chose to revisit for this episode. Uh, Tom Waits, Swordfish Trombones. All right. So were there some other records that you thought about or is this was this the first one that came to mind and you're like this is where we're going? 
Well, I mean, it's always been my favorite record. Uh, you know, it was a record I bought. Uh, there was a big review of it, I think, in the Rolling Stone when I, I you know, I think I was 13. And I bought the record because uh, it looked so freaky. And I didn't know who Tom Waits was. Uh, and I, I bought the record and I brought it home and I hated it, man. It scared the hell out of me. I like underground and shore leave and um but then Jonesburg uh Illinois came up and I was like and I'd always loved ballads even as a little kid but I've always been a ballad guy you know and uh that song killed me and then also uh Soldier's Things where that was the only other song and then Rainbirds the the three mellow tunes um Rainbirds being the instrumental and so I love those songs but the record scared me so much that I sold it back to the record store because I, I I I thought it was haunted, and uh, and then maybe two months go by and I couldn't get that uh, Jonesburg, Illinois song out of my head and I had to go buy it again, and then uh, I bought it again and then eventually you know I I got less scared and then you know like great albums uh, you start liking two songs and it's three then it's four then then you're obsessed with the whole thing, so I've always loved the re- the record for the storytelling and the world. And it's funny and freaky, uh, and I love the way it's recorded. Uh, I, and I love that you know Waits can write classic ballads. He can break your heart, and he's very romantic. And then and then he can, you know, put you as a you know like a merchant marine, leaving for shore leave. Uh, you know, I mean, he's just it's just a perfect record for me. So as we go through this, I'm hoping that you will help me to really understand Tom Waits and and because I, I will say this, Tom Waits and Bob Dylan are very comparable for me. I think that they're both great songwriters, but I prefer when other people do their do their songs. And 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 I don't know what it is because I'm cool with gravelly type voices. I mean we've already had Matthew Ryan on as a guest, very gravelly voiced. We've gushed about Brian Fallon of the Gaslight Anthem on multiple multiple episodes. I think we could probably lump Mike Ness of Social D into that boat as well, right, Wayne? Oh yeah. So so it so I don't know if it's completely his voice or just the way that he presents all those songs, but I just I haven't been able to get into Tom Waits. I was really hoping that that this this record was going to help me to maybe shine the light on it and and help me to to understand it because you know we were we were talking offline earlier Wayne uh, you know because I said well did did you get into this record because you know I listened to it five times and I'm starting to get it a little bit but there's still a lot of songs on here that I'm just like oh I. I, I'm I'm just not getting. Yeah, I mean, this is a, I mean, it's kind of an avant-garde record, and and like what I learned later on, you know, uh, because I was such a kid, um, was that he had a whole career before this that was was different. He was like right. more of the the drunken beat uh, jazz guy, and I, I mean, I think the reason people gravitated towards this record so much is. Cause it was such a change for him and such a like strong songwriting, but also, you know, he took a big chance after, I don't know how many records he had, five maybe, yeah. but you might like, there's a live record of his called uh cold beer on a hot night, um, yeah. live in Australia. And it's a bootleg. And, um, it's, it's, it's his kind of like drunken 
offbeat uh, guy, c- comedian with a really amazing, he's always had really amazing bands. And you might like that because it, it, it's, it's a different feel and it's not so, uh, you know, circusy, crazed. Uh, it's, it's an easier gateway into him. Um, a lot of like uh, Heart Attack and Vine or uh, Foreign Affair are good gateways into figuring Tom Waits out if you want. I mean, yeah. I, I've always liked him because he's, he's just, a, you know, he's a classic Irving Berlin kind of songwriter. I think he's just a classic, really good songwriter. And he writes about like worlds that I, I understand that make me feel comfortable. He always writes about like uh, dodgy places and he's romantic and uh, he writes about alcoholism and and just madness and 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 in and, and, and a kind of a romantic lens and um that's always made sense to me even as as a as a kid um but he's an acquired taste man i'm not, i'm not saying that and um dylan too I, I i think dylan it's like coltrane uh you just have to get the right gateway in and then once you're in, you're in then you just start getting you follow them through their weird phases and and it'll make sense to you but it's certain guys like that you just have to um you have to find a way in and once you find a way in um then they'll get you uh and it's really lucky when you find a way your way in but it makes sense that uh you you struggle with it for me the gateway into this one would be uh, uh johnsburg illinois which is okay. i think it's just a, yeah. just a gorgeous uh really small romantic tune um I just, you know, or a soldier's things. Um, they, they both show you what a great lyricist he is and, and his sense of melody. Uh, and they're just simple ballads that could have been written, you know, uh, in the 30s. Yeah, we'll get into both of those. So I'm I'm glad that you're not completely ostracizing me. Um, <laughs> no, for, man, I'm for, all about the comment. idea of, I'm all yeah. about trying to figure out how to get you into it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, why you like or dislike something that, I mean, I hate when people give you a hard time. Like, I remember I talking to a guy about about Coltrane, and I said, well, I had to start with the ballads, uh, you know, because jazz, like, I have bad nerves anyway. So, like, real hard, like, bebop stuff, really, it's like listening to punk rock. It just, it, 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 it freaks me out in a way that's not good for my head. Um, so I, with Coltrane, I just started, I found this record called Coltrane's Ballads and, uh, and I bought it and that's how I've gotten into jazz is I just start with whoever I'm exploring. I just start with the ballads and then that's can get me in the door. And I did that with Irish music, Irish music and English folk music used to drive me crazy. And then I slowly kind of start figuring out, you know, how to get in the door. And then, and it's, for me, it's always been, I get in the door with the ballots and then, yeah. and then I can get into their weird freaky stuff. I jump feet first in the love Supreme. That's what yeah. I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, yeah, I just was, I was late to jazz. I'm just excited when there's anything, um, that I'm into, uh, you know, whenever you can find any music, regardless of, of if it's cool or not, or, or, or what, if, if I'm into it at all, uh, um, I'm super excited just, uh, to, to love something again. So like I, right now I'm obsessed with the Scottalites. So I just okay. listen to the Scottalites all day long. Cause I've always, I always dreamed as a kid that I was going to be like in a ska band, but I was just, you know, I, I live in Reno and I was a kind of a shut in kid, but, uh, but, so so I just go around my house listening to the Scottalites now. So and it'll change next week. It'll be something else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm you know and and going back to your to your point of you know people 
kind of giving you crap for not getting something. You know, years ago, I, I wrote uh, I wrote music reviews, and this was right about the time that Arcade Fire blew up. So it was first 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 uh, first record by them, and um, everybody that wrote there was probably I don't know I guess there was seven or eight of us uh, that wrote for this website, and I was the one guy among all the critics who was like, I just don't get Arcade Fire. I just don't get it. And everybody's like, well, they better be on your end of end of year list. I'm like, they won't be. And and so I, I just especially with weights, I know that he is kind of a critical darling. So, Willie, after after you picked Tom Waits, I will tell you that we've had two other of our guests who are coming up who said, well, I'm thinking about doing this Tom Waits record. And I flat out had to tell them, I'm like, um, it's going to it's gonna be at least a year before I do another Tom Waits record. <laughs> well, at least you try, man. You listen to it five try, times. So you, can't, yeah. you can't ask for more than that. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's just, a, you know, and it's one of those things is, is you might get into them never, or you might you might go through your Bob Dylan, Tom Waits phase when you're in your 60s. Uh, I mean, it's like Arcade Fire. You might not have been into them then, but maybe in five, six years you'll be into them. Um, who knows, you know? Uh, uh, so I've gotten into stuff years later where I didn't understand it uh, or just wasn't right for me at that time. Yeah. Like I grew up hating Merle Haggard because uh, I, I, I grew up with some pretty redneck, guys and and pretty and, and, and pretty rough guys they were really into merle and um and and uh you know david allen Coe and and uh hank jr and 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 i hated i hated merle especially because i equated his music with uh with those guys and i thought i was so young i didn't understand that merle haggard is a musician he's not he's not saying he condones what these maniacs i was hanging out with were doing but, you know, you equate the guys with the music. And then, you know, and then a guy, when I was a senior in high school, this friend of mine got me out of class to listen to Kern River in the library. And he go, he ha, he got a pass and he got me out. And there's a song called Kern River about two brothers that swim the Kern River and one of the brothers died. And I, I've always loved brother songs and I've always loved uh, song set in like the West, California. And, and there's such a heartbreaking song that from that moment on, I, Merle was my guy because I was like, oh, he's not just an Okie from Muskogee and he's he's a heavy dude. And then Merle became, by the time I was, say, late 20s, Merle was like my favorite. Like I, I collect his records now. And um, yeah. uh, but so it takes a long time to figure out your own thing. And if you don't like something, if you go through your whole life not liking something, man, and that, that's cool. Like I went through a big yes phase and, and one of the guys in my band probably wanted to murder me. Because uh, because I, I would just listen to Yes, and I'd make him listen to it too. We did a like a duo tour, and he's like, "God damn, do we have to listen to Yes anymore?" And uh and uh, so you know, I don't know what to say. Well, you know, it it took me until I was forty five to finally get into Johnny Cash, and yeah, now I now I proudly wear my Johnny Cash T shirt. Uh, you know, it's one of my favorite T-shirts, uh, and I, I, I like Johnny Cash, and it, and again, that kind of became my gateway to other old country. So, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a Merle Haggard fan now because um, a little bit of the Johnny thing, but also because 
the wife introduced me to Eric Church, and he he's definitely influenced by Merle Haggard. So, yeah. Well, I, you got to remember, Merle's like is like the Bob Bob Dylan of uh, country. I mean, he he wrote a lot of those cats. Those guys didn't write their own tunes. Uh, I just read a horrible book about uh, Buck Owens that way. Uh, but um, but Merle is like a real songwriter, and um, if uh, and I've always admired that. And talk about like I. This lady wanted me to play a Merle Haggard song for a wedding. She goes, just play me an upbeat Merle Haggard tune. And I, I swear I scoured the, his catalog looking for like a happy love song. So he was always writing these kind of weirdly odd, dark tunes. Um, but Johnny Cash, same, it's just a hard, like I didn't really understand Johnny. I liked, you know, I liked his, the idea of him and he's a literary guy. And I liked that he sang with Bob Dylan as a kid because I grew up with Nashville Skyline, but it was, it was only when I was at my cousin's house and we were listening to uh, uh, Live at San Quentin. And, yes. and Johnny played, he wrote that song, San Quentin, and he played it twice. And on the record, they put it twice, back to back. And I thought, man, he wrote a song for these guys, and then he had the balls to play it twice. And then I've been a fan ever since. So so that it was that record, because I'd had Folsom... I'd had like three or four of his records, never listened to them, had all the Sun stuff, and I, I didn't really like them. Uh, like, they didn't really, they weren't a part of my heart, you know. I just kind of thought they were cool. Uh, but then when I heard that San Quentin record, I was like, that was the one. I was like, ah, oh, man, this guy is really badass. Yeah. Both those records that you just talked about, Nashville Skyline and San Quentin, both of those are celebrating their 50th year anniversaries. So... That's Wayne, crazy, Wayne, man. Wayne and I kept meaning to to do episodes on those, and we've had just guests upon guests over the last couple months. So um, we'll 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 I think we'll eventually get to both of those, right? Right, Wayne. Yeah, I like both those, man. I know people give a uh, it's the divided road on uh, on uh, Nashville skyline for some people, but uh, but I mean, there's some really cool songs on it, and um, I mean, I grew up listening to that driving around in the desert to that for years so it's always been a uh it's a kid uh it was one of my favorites and it still is well the and the good intersection there is johnny cash plus bob dylan on a song yeah so, exactly yeah it's good stuff all right well let's jump into the record so let me give you a little little bio info so this is the seventh studio album by tom waits who was released in september of 1983 Going back to your point, Willie, about this being a little bit different record for Tom. So this was the first record that he produced himself. So it is very different from the previous LPs. Um, definitely moves away from a lot of the piano type of of arrangements, and you know you'll 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 hear that as we go through. There is a lot of experimentation that that is going on there. Um, not a not a uh, uh, a success as far as record sales go peaked at 164 on the billboard uh, top 200 album chart. So d didn't even crack the, the top 100. However, um, definitely a critical darling. So this was ranked number two among the album of the year for uh, the, uh, the, the magazine enemy. And in 1989, Spin Magazine said that this was the second greatest album of all time. Now, wow. keep in mind that was 30 years ago, but um, definitely, definitely had a lot of of critical following. And um, again, just not one of those records that uh, 
that that got a whole lot of success as far as the the, the radio play or did it even get radio play um so, i mean it's not a it's not really a record for normal people i wouldn't assume <laughs> absolutely all right so let's let's go track by track um as a reminder our scoring is based on the number of songs on the record so wayne how many songs are on this record 15 which means our top song is going to get 15 points next favorite song 14 on down to our lowest score of one and you know, I, uh, i'll disagree with you guys here i mean that's really mean to do to a guy's favorite record is uh <laughs> make them it's like it's like saying you know which kids you like better i i protest uh a friendly protest but man i'm protesting i because i last night i was thinking about it and i was, i kept moving them around but it was uh, but i forgot to tell you guys my new move arounds but uh uh, it's it's a mean thing to do. Uh, we we've been told that before, and it would not Good. be an episode without our guests telling us that our scoring is completely whack. So yes. Good. I'm glad I'm not a, I'm not completely nuts on this. And you you would not be the first guest to even compare it to their children as well. So oh yeah yeah. I mean that's a, that's a wee bit excessive I know, but. Uh, but uh, that was the only thing I could come up with right now. I know, I know. We did our job. That's what. That's all I'm saying. All right, let's uh, let's get into this, or to paraphrase what Tom said in closing time. Let's do this for posterity. This is the first track called "Underground." I find this an interesting choice that you start out uh, the the record with a song that's just shy of two minutes. Um, I've said this on on multiple multiple occasions for the records that we've talked about that I, you know one of my criteria for a really great album is you have to come out strong on the very first uh, very first song. You kind of kind of set the tone for for the rest of the record. I don't think Tom really gives a crap about what I think on on <laughs> on that kind of kind of deal. So, um, who, uh, see, I think he's coming out saying, "Hey, look, um, this is this is where I'm at. Um, whether you like it or not, it's kind of crazy." I, I, he's showing, like, "Look, I, this is a journey, and I'm I'm taking a risk here, and it's going to take you underground. Like, it's going to be weird, and it's going to be freaky, and." Um, and hold on. And and also you could turn it off right away because you're like, man, this guy's freaking me out. So if you're not ready for that, you just save yourself an hour because uh, uh, you turn it off. But but if you're but it's a pretty strong statement, I think, the first song. All right. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't see it at, at that. Go, go ahead, Wayne. I thought. I thought, it, and it has a great like opening. Now I compare a couple of these. I actually compare to like Disney songs. It has a great opening. You know. So I, I, it's almost like a, a one of the, the first songs you hear in a in a Disney animated movie, like back from the the 70s and the 80s, um, and it's super rhythmic. I mean, that drum beat just keeps going, and it does suck you in. And the thing that got me this record, I started to 
I went into it with, I'm not, this is, I'm not a Tom Waits guy. This is going to be rough. And I think, I think you have to listen to it all kind of at once for me. And cause I saw this concept kind of develop where this whole thing comes, came to me as almost like this, at least a loose, and I don't know, Tom Waits, I could be way off base, but I felt the whole thing almost come together like a, like a play from, you know, some sort of working class musical from, you know, early 20th century. And this had a great opening kind of theme, kind of feel to it. And it, and like I say, I like how he doesn't, I mean, is he talking about hell? Cause a lot of these songs or these stories, things go wrong and people do some bad things, but he doesn't get like overly descriptive and start talking about fire or anything. It kind of leaves it to your imagination, which it started to suck me in. Uh, and you'll hear more about that as we go. <laughs> and you're like, like there's, uh, I, I forget that. It's like rumbling groan uh, down below. There's a dark town. It's a place I've found. There's a world going on underground. Meaning like, yeah. I think he's starting to, you know, I think he's living in New York city and I think he, he's starting to experiment with music in like underground where he was kind of always like this, super jazz beat guy persona i think he's starting to become this avant-garde guy and you look at the cover and you're like whoa he's mm -hmm. like a circus freak kind of guy um and so i think he's just saying hey this is you know I, i'm getting weird here and i'm i'm gonna be avant-garde and um because there's a whole world going on underneath you know in the in the weird art scene in New York or in New York, there's a whole subculture of weirdos, and we're gonna go find them. That's the vibe I got, anyway. Yeah, and and you describing it that way definitely changes a little bit of the lyrics for me. So especially where it says, you know, below the mine shaft roads, it will all unfold. There's a world going on underground. So he's kind of setting setting up this record of listen as this goes because this is going to be a, a little bit of a different journey than what you're what you're used to hearing from me yeah because his last i think i can't remember which one was either foreign affair or heart attack and vine but both those were real kind of big uh kind of new york-y but uh, well foreign affairs more like these big kind of beat um sprawling romantic jazz kind of vibes and some of that had strings and it's just kind of more crooner-ish in certain ways too and and this is definitely a, a big departure yeah all right so let's let's get some scores on uh on this from from everybody so i'm giving this a four and then wayne an uh, eight and then uh willie i gave it a seven all right so the the record that Spotify has before this was a motion picture soundtrack. Oh yeah, yeah, one Play from, from the, the heart. heart. Yeah, you might yeah. want to miss that one. That's one record I had never been able to get into. But and I saw Crystal Gale, you know, when I was seven, and I man, she was so beautiful. And but man, I never was a huge fan um, of that record. But what's the one before it? Is it Foreign uh, Affair? Or heart Attack heart, and Vine. Heart Attack and Vine. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's move on. So next next song is Shore Leave. I left all my papers on the Ticonderoga And I was in bad need of a shave I slopped at the corner on cold chow mein And shot billiards with a midget until the rain stopped I bought a long sleeve shirt with horses on the front And some gum and a 
lighter and a knife and a new deck of cards with girls on the back. And I sat down and wrote a letter to my wife. And I said, baby, I'm so far away from home. Yeah, I miss my baby so. So Willie, I, since I, I gave it a 15. Yeah, since I have the benefit of hearing everybody's scores or seeing everybody's scores in advance, so so tell us why this is your favorite on on the record. I mean, when you're when I was a kid, you know, I lived in Reno, and uh, you know, I'd seen the ocean, but I'd never been anywhere. I mean, I'd never I'd been to California, I think it's probably and maybe Arizona once, but I'd never been anywhere, or done anything. And then I'm in my room listening to him and he's like in, you know, Southeast Asia on a ship getting off uh, a boat and he's got like his, he's getting paid and, uh, well, he's in Hong Kong, I guess. And he's wearing Cuban heels and I, it took me forever. I had to ask my mom what Cuban heels meant and, uh, and then he's drinking and, um, and he's going down to, uh, you know, how eat food and have a day off and he's playing you know a uh, pool with a midget and um drew, and he bought like a long sleeve shirt with horses on it and i always liked horses and and then he bought a, a deck of cards with girls on the back which my brother had one of those and uh and but then above it all he's in love with his wife so he's got a he's like in love but he's this cool guy that's playing uh you know pool with a midget and bullshit and so meaning like he's an open-minded guy and he's having this kind of crazy time but what he really wants to do is like have a drink and write a letter to his wife and i was like man i want to be that guy so uh and i think he creates the whole world in that song like musically it, it just transported me i i mean i've probably listened to that song hundreds and hundreds of times yeah so so wayne i know that this is one of your top scores as well so what uh what set this apart for you? And and a lot like he said, um, it tells the story, and it comes right out with this this very dark, gritty, like pulp novel. You know, as he's going through it, and he's and I love that the lyrics are over the top. With he's playing billiards with midgets until the rain stops, and uh, it, what was the other one? There was another great Being one. A, a Filipino floor show. Yeah, and rolling yeah. down the rolling down the gutter to the blood bank and this this very descriptive i mean i can see this story every time every time i heard every time i listened to it i could i could see it and yet i thought one of the things that they did to keep it even low key so his lyrics are over the top but the they they didn't get real campy and go overly asian with the uh with the music they just you know there are some of those like those east you know southeast asian strings and a little bit of and a gong maybe here and there but they kept it real casual on that end and then so like i say this whole story just keeps going and every time this every time i listen to it i saw the story and like i say i saw all these connections um between all these different songs like there's a lot of military um coming back from war going to war butch joins the army in one and the, and the girl the moon over this chinese town or this chinatown fair he talks about it showing over illinois which obviously the love song in this album is Johnsburg, Illinois, where his where his love lives. So I found all these connections in this in these songs, 
that just kind of made this whole thing turn into this like a big movie like there's these instrumentals um like them or not and then there's these spoken word parts that are spursed out and then these really cool visual story songs uh through the whole thing man you yeah. get a gold star for that one man that was <laughs> that was very beautiful yeah i agree with everything you said cool all right um this is one of my one of my top songs um so i give this a 10 um i've already talk to you guys' scores. So Willie, one more time, your score, this is your top one, right? Yeah, yeah, 15. And then Wayne? Uh, 14. All right. So this is going to be up there for contention for our top song on the record. Um, so we follow that up with Dave the Butcher. And um, here, here are my notes for, for Dave the Butcher. I don't get this at all. It sounds like when my kids got hold of the piano, when they were really small and somebody recorded it. And like I was saying, like, I think I, 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 my first note is not necessary or good, but it has, I feel like, once again, like I was saying, I just put all of these things together in this concept, whether it's real or imagined, but Dave and the butcher are mentioned in another song, which I find, which I, this, those little connections intrigue me. But this one, it's a carnival sound type thing. It's like almost like the midway without the excitement. And if, mm. and I could see it being some sort of a transition if it was 30 or 40 seconds long. But at 221, it, yeah, it, I wanted to poke things in my eye. Wow, you guys, you're rough. Uh, <laughs> I mean, to me, it's like you're living inside a movie. Uh, he's creating a world. Uh, yeah. It's it's uh, it's it's again showing you it's avant-garde. It's 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 like he's putting you in this kind of frame of mind in the world. And um, I mean, I've always been a fan of instrumentals, and I love instrumentals. When I love when when people respect instrumentals um, enough to put them on records, uh, uh, and not a lot of people do. And um, and so, you know, I, I'm a fan of all his instrumental stuff, but I, I agree with you guys. It's, it's, it's jarring, but this is, a, this is, he's creating a world. He's not worried about like entertaining you per se with this one little thing he's creating. He's, he's trying to keep you in this world. Yeah. And I will say we, we have looked at some, some records that have had instrumentals on them and the instrumentals have not fared very well on our scoring. I will, no uh, one likes a man. I mean, that, no. I mean, I was talking to the the guy uh, one time in uh, Calexico because uh, I'm a huge Calexico fan. And oh yeah. They've they've had some records with just amazing instrumentals, and and I was like, man, I love your instrumentals. And he uh, and one of the guys was like, really? Because we <laughs> love them, but uh, you know, they're not the songs that people automatically gravitate towards. And um yeah. and and with my band Fontaine, we always had instrumentals on every record, and and. You know, not, you know, they're the songs that people don't don't really uh, ever request or or that into. But man, I I love instrumentals. Dave the Butcher, uh, that's a great title, but it do, it does its job and it creates it creates a world. So I think it's important for the record. And I I think again, it shows you that he doesn't give a shit. He's just gutsy and he's uh, gonna do his own thing, which is I I would assume why so many people like this record. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get some scores. So I told you, this is my uh, this is my least favorite. Wayne, <laughs> same here. Okay, and then Willie, I give it a four. Okay. All right. So uh, I'm pausing because I had to change your score. You you changed your score up on me, Willie. Yeah, I did. I did. But I figured you you're smart enough to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that moves us on to. Song number four. So this is Johnsburg, Illinois. Classic. Uh, this is just a classic ballad. They, Tom Waits can write ballads as good as anybody that's ever written ballads, I think. And um, um, and I, this is just a really nice ballad. And I think it it juxtaposed against like Shore Leave and Dave the Butcher, it just shows you how how beautiful uh, a song could be. So if you had a, a whole record of these, maybe this song's not going to stick out as much as it does in this. But with this. It kind of is like, okay, this world's weird and jarring, but it's also romantic. And he gives you hints of that with Shore Leave, and then he just, then he devastates you with, with Johnsburg, Illinois. He, he does have a full record of these type of songs. It's called Closing Time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, this, yeah. these, these are, uh, uh, man, he's a step up on this stuff, I think. And that, that was, that was pre, pre him getting all beat and weird. Right. So this is this this is the type of song that I I typically equate with Waits, um, where the the first three songs you know were definitely different for me because I I was expecting when when I put this record on that was the first thing I was thinking was all right I'm gonna get another you know downtown train or you know old fifty five or whatever and I kind of felt like with this song clocking in at one minute thirty thirty seconds is this Tom's way of kind of teasing the audience of here's what I'm here's what you usually equate me with but I'm not going to give you I'm not going to give you a full song of this my it might just like completely I just thought I mean I thought the song just was like he's writing a lot of short songs on this record yeah and um and and that's different from him for him as well and I think he's just like he he says everything he needs to say he gets in and out and um and who cares how long it is yeah 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 yeah, it, it's a super simple love song. I say it's a it's a great song. I lyrically and and poetically, I real it's. But his voice, for whatever reason, I, I the first thing I thought of as the song starts to play is, you know what? I bet Rod Stewart would knock this out of the park. Or even I started to get this, like uh, I started to think about George Michael singing it because I think <clears throat> there are some oh, melody sim- similarities yes. to One More Time and this. Um, I think George Michael's song uses an organ and this one has a piano, but the medley is, mm-hmm. is the melody is very s- similar. And so it made me think of, uh, but him singing it, I don't know. There was something. You just guys got to think about him as the, not Tom Waits. You got to think about him as the guy in short leaf, like yeah, writing, he's like writing it. Right. And so you just got to think it, it, it's like Harry Dean Stanton 
is singing this song, not uh, not a singer. Um, so you just got to buy, if you buy into the world, then his voice makes sense. You know, there you go. There you go. That's my argument anyway. No, I like it. I like it. All right. So let's so I give it a 14. Stuff. Yeah. Uh, so this is one of your top scores. Wayne. Oh, yeah, man. It's one of my favorite all-time tunes. Wayne. I gave it a five. Okay. And I gave it an eight. So we're kind of all over there uh, for that song. Um, all right. So that leads us up to 16 shells from a 30 odd six. started on on this particular song i i love this song his voice to me after after the last one where i had made comments where i felt i didn't feel as comfortable with his voice his voice is absolutely perfect for this and this has this great driving rhythm with it sounds like a hammer on an anvil that's that's going in the background i couldn't i could not make heads or tails of the lyrics um it had they had a lot of musical references but ultimately it was it was just the rhythm of the whole song and his and just the sound of his voice regardless of what he was saying that really like captivated me yeah i was looking at i was looking at credits and there are three people it looks like three different people that are playing some kind of drums on this particular song um it doesn't say anything about uh, hammer or, or anvil so didn't see that in the credits though, Wayne. <laughs> that doesn't mean that it's not there. I'm just saying you can you can hear that that clang that comes yeah. through it and just keeps this thing driving. And like I say, what he's saying is not to me the important part. Um, it's just his voice and that and that rhythm. It was just I, I loved it. I I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole for this one. So I'm going to just throw this out. This is my favorite song on the record. I I really like this. To your point, Wayne, I, I felt like the voice worked for this particular song. Um, there is a good cover of the song by John P. Hammond um, on his album Wicked Grin, which is actually a whole album of Tom Waits covers, which here was the the, the weird thing that I thought. It was produced by none other than Tom Waits. Wow. Yeah. I so, think I knew that. So, I yes. So uh, if you have not heard the, the the John P. Hammond version of it, it's it's pretty stellar as well. So this one I definitely connected with. Um, I I don't know what it is about it other than I I felt like his voice worked with with all of the instrumentation that's going on. So this is definitely my my top score. Um, so Wayne, how about you? Your your score on this one? Oh, 13. This was and then, right up there. And then Willie? I gave it a six. I mean, I love the tune. I like that kind of chain gang feel to it. But like, 
but it did, you, you know, uh, I mean, I dig the tune, but it's not, uh, I'm more like the, I love the uh, the rhythmic take on it, and, and the lyrics are wild and really interesting, I think, but, uh, but man, I always gravitate towards the more moody Waits tunes, so I had to put this one lower, even though, I, again, I protest. <laughs> <laughs> That that's okay. We are okay with the protests. All right. Uh, so moving on. So this is town with no, no cheer. Tiny Victorian rhubarb kept the watering hole open for sixty-five years. Now it's boiling in a miserable March twenty-first. Up the hills in a blanket of Patterson. And uh, who wants who wants to get get us started with this? I mean, I again to me this is just classic songwriting. It's just so kind of uh, dreamy and uh, 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 like he's talking about Australia. Uh, there's no refreshment for a thirsty jackaroo from Melbourne to Adelaide over the Outlander. I mean, he's he's uh, creating this world. Uh, uh, that I think is just um, beautiful. Like uh, there's a hummingbird trapped in a closed down shoe store. Just that imagery, so beautiful. So uh, I've I've always loved I've always loved this tune. It's just classic. Cool. Yeah, I, <laughs> right. I, it's it's it had a it had a. I mean, it's almost like he wrote this Australian folk song from you know a hundred years ago. Uh, I, I it it just has it's just so much. It's so interesting. Um, that he can, that he, you know, he, he really took me back in time for some, I mean, 1983, it feels like it was, this was written in 1883 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he does do that. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just like, like sonically, I think it's pretty interesting. Um, musically, I think it's, it's just, it's a weird kind of dreamy tune. And again, it takes you, it gives you a break from uh, 16 shells from the 30 out six or underground. It gives you like mm-hmm. a, a breather from him, like getting real freaky on you. Um, and again, it's just kind of classic songwriting, uh, and, and kind of dreamy and, and off, like like walking around some city at like five in the morning uh, when you've been out all night. Yeah, and I think it's a perfect segue to the next song that we'll talk about as well. Um, so so yeah, to to your point of of writing this as as a record, I mean, it, do we consider this uh, like a concept record or? just a lot of different little vignettes uh, for, i totally like i i can say i don't i've never heard anything or read anything but i i created my own concept uh and this one didn't really fit in there anywhere but i i just enjoyed that that how he 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 that he wrote this extremely interesting very and like i say very visual i can see like my i could just see myself walking through this old this australian outback town with dust flying everywhere and none of the stores open or sad people, you know, where's the alcohol cheer everybody up. Right. Okay. Perfect. All right. Let's get some scores on this. So Willie. 12. 
Okay. And then Wayne? Six. Yeah, and I'm matching your six on that as well. And that leads us up to, uh, like I said, this is a segue I felt to the next song, which was In the Neighborhood. as a single but there was a video made for the song and I mean, used, yeah it's definitely the most catchy yeah uh yeah use use the same actors and the art director who who did the the cover of the record so it's a little freaky and 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 this is how i i'm gonna give you a little 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 glimpse into how i do a lot of my scoring is if it sticks with me and I still hear the melody or the words in my head and I, and I'm okay with it. And I don't feel like I need to go put something on the player immediately to try and drown out those, that, that song. Um, then I'm, that's going to get you a higher score. So this is one of those that I, after I listened to the record, this was the song that kept getting stuck in my head and, and it was okay. Um, yeah, the lyrics are great. I mean, uh, Friday's yeah. a funeral, Saturday's a bride. Um, you know, it says it got it got a pistol on the register side. Goddamn right. delivery trucks that make too much noise. I, I like it all. And the Filipino girls giggling by the church. And that's just really get good imagery. Delivered no more. Yeah, I mean, I mean just really, yeah. you know, the windows busted and the landlord ain't home. So the cool thing about Waits is I think he... He, when he gives you a description, it usually rings true. Like some guys will describe something and you're like, man, I don't buy it. But uh, with Tom Waits, I, he always creates this world, especially, you know, if you've never been to New York or, or you've never been to a big city or Australia or whatever. He's like, he's just like with a few lines, he's just putting you right there, which yeah. I think is great. Yep. yep. Do you rate this one at? I rated it a 13. This was All one right. of my this was one of my favorite ones on the on the record. Um, yeah. How about I you, saying, Wayne? I gave it a twelve. I could say I love. It had like a little. It reminded me of the like watching the Little Rascals. It had this real like depression era, small town America. But he just describes it so, just so in depth in this really short amount of time. He, I mean, I can just and I know the video did help, but that parade feel of the music and he's, I could just see, you know, the flatbed truck that's got him blocked in again. And just the, you know, the dogs knocking over trash cans, running through the streets. Uh, it, it just, it, it he, he can definitely put you in that world. If, even if it's only for three minutes or whatever. Yeah, um, and I, this brilliant. one had, 
once again, like I'm finding all these references. Now this one has Filipino girls. That's kind of the Ticonderoga was an aircraft carrier that was that was stationed in, you know, in that did battle in the Philippines and like say it's got something about Butch joining the army. So I just was finding all these connections to them, whether they're whether it was just me, I, I kind of just tied this whole thing together. And this one was an important piece to that. whole thing. Yeah, to me, it's just like all written in the same vibe, the same world. It might not link up like song by song, but it, he's he's creating a world and there's characters in this world and there's uh, location and um, and uh, kind of overriding throughout themes running through it, um, which, you know, again, that, that's I've always liked records like that. Wayne, look at you overanalyzing. Am I rubbing off on you? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I guess, and I had, I, listening to the record, I, I just, at some point I got trapped in it and I, I started, I, like I say, I'm look, going down rabbit holes and investigating and listening to the song back and pulling up the lyrics. And he just, he, he, he brought me in and I, like I say, I don't know if it was the idea of a concept and that all of them kind of connected loosely somehow, uh, it it really drew me in, and I, I started to overanalyze. Possibly, I think it gets worse as it goes. <laughs> All right, so let's. Uh, t- Willie, did I get your score? Uh, eight. Eight. Okay. All right, so let's flip the record over. So this is just another sucker on the vine. This is another instrumental. give it a three Uh, i mean like i said man i'm a fan of the instrumentals and uh, i think it just kind of creates the world um it's like you're living inside a movie um and so i liked it i I love all his instrumentals yeah and And then he has the guts to do it yeah and i i uh of the three instrumentals i like this one the best and i don't think that's a coincidence that it was the shortest one but i think along the lines of my 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 this whole vision concept that i've created this almost had like an intermission kind of a sound to it like this is where you would and being where it is on the in the on you know being the first song of the second side it's kind of that you know everybody go to the bathroom or get some popcorn because we got a whole nother rest of the show to go yep i totally agree with that i totally agree with that and my my notes here are interesting choice for a side opener but feels like the intermission movie music. So perfect, perfect, perfect analysis on that. All right. So going back to my, my, uh, my comments earlier. So sorry, Willie, but I'm not a big fan of the instrumentals. I do like That's the all last right, man. I do like the last one. I will say I do like the yeah, last Rainbirds one. Yeah, Rainbirds is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, that, is a, that is a beautiful uh, song. But this one gets my two. And then Wayne, your score? Four. And then Willie? Uh, three. All right. All right. So this goes on to Frank's Wild Years. Picked up a couple of Mickey's Big Mouths. Drank them in the car on one of the Shell station. Got a gallon of gas in a can. Drove home, doused everything in the house, torched it. 
parked across the street laughing, watching it burn, all Halloween orange and chimney red. And Frank put on a top 40 station, got on the Hollywood freeway and headed north. Never could stand that dog. I mean, this is, I remember the uh, the first time I heard this song, I, I was so freaked out and I thought it, you know, it has this edge to it that the older I got, I kind of understood or felt I understood. Um, but I mean, w- w- Frank settled down in the valley and he hung his wild years on the, on the nail he drove through his wife's forehead. And I was like, my God, and he sold used office furniture. So it's, and it's San Fernando road so you're thinking la and i was thinking you know it's got that kind of repo man uh era that's about that era so i just i equated the two together and i just thought this is so crazy and wild and funny um and like had a chihuahua named carlos that had some kind of skin disease skin disease and was totally, <laughs> and was totally blind. blind yeah and then thoroughly modern kitchen i mean uh, i just it, it shows you that he's funny um, and he drank Mickey's Big Mouth. I started drinking Mickey's Big Mouth just because of that, even though I hate malt liquor. Um, uh, so, yeah, man, I mean, I can't say enough great things about it. And it's spoken word. Again, it just shows you that he's got guts. And then he's like, I don't care. I'm going to do my own thing. And, um, and it's, uh, you know, it's just bizarre. Uh, I love it. You think PETA has ever contacted Tom Waits on this one at any time? <laughs> yeah, man. Nowadays, he probably would get in trouble with it. Never liked that dog anyways. Yeah. Uh, I I kind of look at this one, and there's there's another one coming up. Um, when I first heard this, I thought about uh, – you guys familiar with Robbie Robertson's first solo record in 1987? Sure. So it felt very somewhere down the lazy river to me, a uh, very broken record to me, because um, it has has a little bit of that – I don't even know what what you call the, the the method of where it's you're doing more talking than you are singing. It's like spoken word. Yeah, it's like spoken word poetry, poetry, right? Yeah. yeah, he's just telling a story. Um, I think I mean I love it. So yeah, yeah, it's it had a very beat poetry. Like I wrote Kerouac esque, and then I know the one thing that always caught me every single time was when it says you know assumed a you know a thirty year loan at fifteen and a quarter percent. I'm like, what the are you serious? 15 and a quarter percent. You can't pay that. But I mean, it, this one had a much more 40s feel. I think I associate the, you know, the name Frank with kind of that era and also as well as, you know, sedans. And um, so I had this early, you know, 40s, maybe possibly post-World War II. But um, I just it, every time I every time I listen to it, I could see the whole thing playing out. You know, I can see him sitting in the parking lot drinking the big, you know, drinking the Mickey's Big's mouth as, uh, as he goes over and gets a, uh, right after that, he goes over and gets a can of gas, douses the whole thing and sets it on fire. And just that whole feeling of, you know what, I've had enough of that goddamn dog and this broad and I'm torching this place. And then he just, well, yeah, drives and he's, off. Selling, he's selling used office furniture. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and, and then you're he just like probably in traffic jams. North. Yeah. And you're just like in traffic jams all the day and then you got to go home and he's like, he's just going to blow up his life. And uh, I mean, I I always related to that part of it too, and uh, I mean the imagery is just is gorgeous throughout the throughout the song. I think the imagery is pretty amazing. And today Frank will be portrayed by Michael Douglas. 
<laughs> yeah. All right, let's get some scores. So I give this a 12. Willie? Uh, where are we now? Um, 11. And then Wayne? I, I also gave it an 11. All right. And then moving on to the title track. So this is Swordfish Trombone. Chesterfield and Moonbeams in a song. He got 20 years for loving her from some Oklahoma governor. Said everything this doughboy does is wrong. Now some say he's doing the obituary mambo. Now some say that he's hanging on the wall. Perhaps this yarn is the only thing that holds this man together. Some say that he was never here at all. Some say they saw him down in Birmingham, sleeping in a boxcar going by. And if you think that you can tell a bigger tale, I swear to God you'd have to tell a lie. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, I mean, I think the lyrics on uh, Swordfish Trombone is... Uh, uh, gorgeous. I mean, I'm, I've always been in lyrics. I've always loved lyrics. And I mean, Tom Waits writes some of the best. Uh, you know, he came home from the war with a party in his head. Um, you know, and a, that's just amazing. And a pair of legs that opened up like butterfly wings, which I don't really understand, but it's just the imagery was great. Um, he went and took up with a Salvation Army band girl and who played the, uh, you know, Dirty, dirty Water, water on sword. A... Yeah, I, yeah like I mean, it's that. crazy stuff, but thinking, it... what is a swordfish trombone? Because it does give me that it has that waffle stomp, dirty Sanchez kind of is it? A, I don't know what I, I don't know what it is, but I'm fascinated by it. I couldn't I just couldn't. This song is once again, the lyrics that I completely agree with you. And, and the way he's, he's telling this story and it's almost like these are Frank's wild years because he doesn't he doesn't speak to him in the previous song, just says he'd given up his wild years in this song. He he's you know, this guy comes home from the war and things, you know, he's obviously got trauma from it. And then this things aren't going right. Next thing you know, he's he's on the road chasing, you know, somebody down. I think he kills her, you know. And and like I say, this whole story when he kind of at the end is like, you know what, you're not going to be able to if to tell a better story or a bigger story, you'd have to lie. And he, yeah. and he, it's just, uh, it's just brilliant. I love, this was one of the ones that, then like I say, I tied it together. It made this song felt like Frank's wild years, like the things that Frank was doing before he, you know, bought himself a little two bedroom uh, house in the San Fernando Valley. Yeah. And I mean, it is, it is kind of, it's, it's, it has romance to it. It's got like a thirties, like coming home for world war one kind of vibe with the Salvation Army girl and, uh so it has like image it has definite like strong imagery that way and then but then then just like sleeping in a box car going by uh like uh where they think they see him uh uh i mean it's just it, it uh it's just so brilliant and like having this kind of off-kiltered imagery um from a like a bygone era era that's both violent but also romantic yeah. and, and you know musically it's just it's great it's just kind of bizarre i mean best best line for me is now some say he's doing the obituary mamba yeah that's great i mean and i mean I, and the i mean I, my favorite one is he he came home from the war with a party in his head and an idea for a fireworks display i mean that's just that's <laughs> yeah. so bizarre man and, and beautiful um and i love like he holed up in a room above a hardware store crying nothing 
but Hollywood Tears. Tears. Yeah, yeah, which is a great line. Do um, all of his characters have PTSD of some sort, whether it's from the war or from some other trauma? Feels like all of them have some some level of trauma that they're dealing with. Yeah, maybe they're all. I've never thought about it as a concept, but I mean, yeah. but yeah, maybe they're they're all like just a little off, or their their head is gone a little sideways on them, and so all these different things that maybe are underground or avant garde or weird or. Uh, but I mean, just, and that, you know, just that idea of like a hummingbird trapped in a closed down shoe store. I mean, uh, uh, just such weird imagery that's just a little off kilter, but also strikingly pretty beautiful. Yeah. All right. So yeah, we all like this one. I'm Sam. I'm warming up to you guys now. (laughs) You like this song. (laughs) You didn't like this song. I'd have to hang up. Uh, (laughs) I gave it a 10. I also gave it a 10. Ooh. Yep, and I gave it a nine. So we're uh, we're we're right there. All right, that leads us to down, down, down. get us started because i think your score reflects that you liked it a little bit more than we did yeah this one just this once again it has an old school like i mean i could just hear lead belly singing this song and the and the and, and it's you know it's got that great train reference and the and the beat keeps it has that locomotive feel like it's just trucking along down the tracks um but i mean he's this is like a journey into you know this guy goes from into this Germany that turns kind of criminal. I mean, um, it, it just was a great, once again, a great story that's being told. Yeah, he just uses, like I say, the music was great. The way he way he had that whole real, real locomotive feel to it. Of this, you know, this what this starts as a train journey. I just loved it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's never been one of my favorites uh, uh, on the record. But again, I, I, I. I tend more towards his more ballady, uh, avant-garde stuff. And, and um, it, I love the tune, but it, for it's a pretty straight tune um, and, and not as interesting as the other ones to me. So I, I, I kind of, I had to give somebody a bad score because that's where we're at with this, with this brutal uh, scheme you guys have. Uh, so I, I had to give it a two. There you go. All right. I gave it a seven. And I, this was one of the ones that I, I toyed around with a lot with my, with my scoring, because my, my notes that I've got here is I probably would have liked this better if somebody like Dr. John would have covered it. True. True. Yeah. So I gave it a I seven. I like Dr. John, man. I just started yeah. getting into him about three years ago. I, lo- I love Dr. John. I just kind of did a little bit of a deep dive because he just, you know, recently passed away. And I'm like, why have I not been listening to this guy for years? So anyways, uh, Wayne, what was your uh, score on this? I gave it a nine. All right. So let's move over to soldiers things. Table clothes and patent leather shoes. 
bathing suits and bowling balls and clarinets and rings. Well, this radio really needs is a fuse. A tinker, a tailor, a soldier's things. His rifle. Again, to me, this, like Johnsburg, Illinois, uh, uh, just a perfect ballad. Uh, um, I mean, he, he puts in like this old kind of junk shop. And um, I just think it's, uh, I think it's so beautiful and kind of haunting. And again, the imagery, uh, bathing suits and bowling balls, uh, and all this radio really needs is a fuse. And, um, and again, his voice, I think, creates the world. It's not if he's a good singer or not. It's just does he does he create the world? And I think you you, you get a sense of this guy looking through all this stuff. Um, I, I yeah I can't say enough uh, uh, great things about this song. I, I will say this. So the 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 one line of everything in this box is for sale for a dollar. Um, when he says. Um, uh, what is the line? Let me let me find it now. Um, this one's for bravery. This one's for me, and everything's a dollar in this box. Yeah, and, and so is he talking about the metal is also for sale for a dollar? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that thing is like, look, all this stuff is just junk, and these are guys that had died or yeah. uh, old soldiers, you know, medals and stuff, and it doesn't mean anything to anybody anymore. And and these poor guys come home with fireworks display in their heads or they lose everything or they go nuts or they don't have legs. Uh, and, 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 you know, they, they end up their, their accomplishments or who they are just end up in a junk shop that you can buy anything of theirs for a buck. Yeah. That's and brutal, that was, but yeah, yeah, that was the Amazing. one line. And, and, and I kept coming back to it. I'm like, I've heard that somewhere. Where have I heard that line? Everything's a dollar in this box. And so through the power of Google, I threw that in there and said lyrics. And first it was Tom Waits. And then it was Paul Young covered the song on his 1985 record, The Secret of Association, which is where I knew this song. And I'm like, this doesn't sound like that that particular soldier's things that's on the, his record because on his record the song is about six minutes long so he, oh, wow. he he stretches it out pretty good and that of course of is paul young's most i would say probably his most popular record because every time you go away is on that on that particular i saw him once when i was like 13 and yeah. uh, he was great, man. I mean, the guy could really sing. Uh, sing. He had a cool backup singers, like English backup singers. I'd never seen English. I heard English people talk, really, and it was really fun, man. So, uh, yeah. Except on TV, of course. Uh, all right, we got a Gin Soak Boy. Oh, wait, we didn't do the... Uh, no, we haven't done scores. So let's... Scores, uh, well, I'd give this one a, a 15 if I could, but I had to give it a... I couldn't, so I gave it a 13. That's, that's good as well, and I gave it 11. And then Wayne... You got some splaining to do. Yeah, I uh, I gave it a three. I know it's it's one of those things I can't explain. I kept waiting for Julie Andrews to say these are a few of my favorite things. Yeah. Uh, and well, you guys aren't just you just you guys are you guys aren't ballad uh, instrumental guys. Uh, 
I think that's safe <laughs> to say, right? But so. I, I definitely think it's important to that whole, like I say, that whole theme that I created. I mean, once again, uh, soldiers coming back from war. I, I it took me a couple of listens to kind of to get what was happening. That you know, like you said, these this soldier didn't come back, or he, you know, or maybe he did come back, like some of these other references, and he's now gone. And maybe it's the girl from Johnsburg, Illinois, who's taking these down to the to the thrift store. I don't know, but I just, I for some reason, I just never, I just never connected to it. But I think it's really, definitely, really important to this record. Yep. Yep. Agreed. All right, this leads us up to Gin Soaked Boy. song it's so super bluesy uh, that good uh, i couldn't i just kept hearing that guitar there's just this great unique sound to that uh guitar uh it's almost like maybe like it's at least like a hollow body or something like uh like a gibson that chuck berry would play or something or even maybe an acoustic that's been electrified uh it just i it just was out of this world i just the sound of the guitar was great and i thought it had some great references that kind of fit into my theme too. I mean, Leavenworth is mentioned, that's an army prison. Uh, Oklahoma is referenced and that's where he chased that girl and a governor gave him 20 years. Uh, but ultimately it was just just that bluesiness and of this whole thing, Just I just loved it. And he doesn't write straight songs like this. Like you said, you were going to your ma's, but where the hell did you go? You went and slipped out nights. Don't. You think I'd know with some gin-soaked boy that you don't know. Uh, I mean, it's pretty cool. He doesn't write songs like that very often. Um, musically, it's not that interesting to me, um, uh, but but I like that 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 those lines a lot. Yeah, I I like it. I I felt like the the first line right out of the gate that he was doing a little bit of playing on words. I know the 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 name of the song is gin soak boy so you're supposed to think that the belly where he's talking about i got a belly full of you and that leavenworth stuff that you're supposed to think that the belly is full of of gin i kind of felt like because the first time i listened to this i'm like cool blue song feels like a lead belly song and so i kind of like i kind of like the playing on words there i felt like he was he was doing a little uh little something there um Again, I'm I'm apt to overanalyze everything, um, so maybe I'm I'm seeing a little bit more <laughs> into this song than is really what Tom's intentions were. But I dig it. I I, I like it. It could have been it could have been longer for me, and I I don't say that about most most Tom Waits 
songs. There's a lot <laughs> of songs on here that I said, you know, shorten it down. You could, it'd be all right to be a, a Frank's wild years part two at a minute and 50 seconds. But this one, I, I felt like uh, could have, could have gone on a little longer. So I give this a 14 and then uh, Willie, uh, you know, we're, we're diametrically opposed. No, I gave it a five. Just it's not the most interesting tune to me, but I, like I like I said, uh, I, I dig this. It's one of my favorite all time records. So uh, uh, there you go. All right, and then Wayne, I gave it a fifteen. This is my favorite song. I just couldn't get it. All out right. Of it. Yeah. There see, we we're figuring out. We, I, I figured out you guys by now. So. <laughs> all right. So all right. trouble break. I blew the weather vane off some old road house. And I pulled a fire in the skeleton backseat of an old tucker. And I pulled on trouble's braids. And I spanked cold red mud where the hornet stung deep. And I tossed in the ditch in a restless sleep. And I pulled on trouble's braids. I hung my red soap jacket on some old barbed wire. And pulled cool rusty water on a miserable fire. And I pulled on trouble's braids. And the creek was swollen by daybreak. And I could just barely see. Stream on an old dead tree. I pulled on trouble's breeds. I pulled on trouble's breeds. I pulled on trouble's breeds. So Wayne, get us started with this one. Well, this is another one of the spoken words stories, and it's I uh, I it was of the three, this is my least favorite, but I just I it's so descriptive. I mean, the skeleton backseat of a an old Tucker, uh cold red mud, cold rusty water on a you know. And like I say, the whole chase, he's on the run. I mean, I don't know where he escaped from, whether it was a jail or prison, but he's on the run. He's hiding in, you know, the bushes. He's, you know, going, you know, old farmhouses, uh, old wrecked cars. He's, it's just got this great, this great story that's being told. I can see this guy, you know, with the bloodhounds on him, you know, at night searchlights, you know, trying to trying to find him. My only, like I say, the cadence of it was the only thing that kind of brought it down for me is he kind of goes too fast, which I understand this guy's being chased, but it's, it's one of those things where I just felt like he, he didn't give me enough time to, to be scared or to be, you know, to feel the danger. But I love the, I love the story. And I love the, I say that his choices and words to describe, to describe the thing, the feeling uh, were just legendary. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, again, uh, well done, sir. And uh, uh, I liked the, you you can tell that like Waits is watching a lot of movies or he creates these worlds like this feels like real kind of southerny and, and maybe really influenced by old blues tunes, which you can feel the thread of that through this record too. Um, it's not, it's not like it's framework in within the record. It jars me like pulled on Trouble's Braids. Like I... I've never been a huge fan of this one, um, but it, it creates such a great world. And again, it's just uh, it, it, it's like a part of a piece of a soundtrack. And he's creating this whole kind of world of a guy in the, what I thought would be like the South or the Midwest on the run. And it's really hot and he's freaked out. And it's kind of, again, like it could be just in a soldier's mind. It could be in a, in a guy with a dented brain having a freak out. Yeah, and I like how he, he throws Trouble's braids back in, you know, pulled on Trouble's braids, which almost to me felt like an admission that this is my own fault. Like I'm, I yeah. mean, Trouble's braids. He literally he did something um, yeah, to bring he this on, on himself, and and he he owns that, but he still it's not like he's going to give up. He's not going down like that. He's on the run. Yeah, 
All right, let's get some scores. So, Willie? I I gave it – I hate saying this, but I gave it a one, man. And I think it's just because it's where it's sitting on the on the, the uh, record. But uh, I, I dig it, but it's it, I, if I had to pick one that's not my least favorite, I'd have to do Troubled Braids. Yeah. And then Wayne? Uh, seven. All right. And then I give this a three, which leads us up to final track, which is Rainbirds. instrumental um i mean i've listened to this song probably uh oh man maybe a thousand times because i've listened to it on repeat a lot uh i I, it's just beautiful and kind of haunting um again uh maybe it doesn't make sense to most people to to have so many instrumentals on a record but for me it's just kind of like it's a piece of music more than than a rock record uh and he's creating all these worlds and these different imagery situations whether it's through soldiers or or uh, junk shops or southeast asia or australia uh so it's all part of like a kind of like a dented guy's dreamscape kind of thing and um and rainbird just kind of ties it all in and says okay we're done with this really manic crazy thing relax and uh and and move on to something else yep that was exactly my thoughts on on this one. It's like you've taken us on a bunch of journeys here. Some of it is crazy. Some of it is really crazy. And then now we're gonna just wrap this up in this nice little soliloquy. And I think it's a little bit of a dark piece, but I also think that it's a little bit of this um, ending credits. You know, going yeah, back to what we... That's what exactly we're... what I wrote down. Yeah. And I, I feel bad about my score because I do think it is beautiful. Um, I just, I guess my biggest problem is when I think of instrumentals, I think of showcasing um, instruments and your ability to play music. And these are much simpler, I think, but I think they're all so important. And this one definitely felt like closing credits, like the like the movie is over and... And 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 all of this I've just shown you is we just climaxed with this you know with this chase through the woods by by dogs and uh, cops and and then now it's you know starring Tom Waits and and and, and as it goes as you, as you, everybody gets up and leaves the theater so it right. was perfectly placed and important and I feel bad about my score especially after all the things that Willie has said during this no man it doesn't matter I mean. <laughs> You guys, you guys like the more you guys. What, what, what I've learned. Uh, well, first off, my score is a nine. And then Wayne, a deuce, a deuce. And then I'm giving it a five. So it is, it is definitely my favorite instrumental. And uh, I give it a better score than a couple of the other, uh, the other songs. Um, where the. I mean, what I've seen. learned from you guys is that you like the more normal ones. So you guys aren't nuts. Uh, you're not super fans of instrumentals. That's okay. 
and the more avant-garde ones kind of freak you guys out. So I would say, like, if I was your therapist, I would be very happy for your mental health uh, because you you guys run more towards the mainstream on this stuff. So uh, you should feel good about yourself. I will say that it has opened me up to the idea of listening to some more Tom Waits because I, I think I was against that until uh, – because I really did get into this. I, like, listened to it for – Gosh, I, I probably have listened to it six, seven times in the last two days. Um, but I definitely had to listen to it all together and form that kind of that concept, whether real or imagined. And it's definitely made me interested to listen to some more and kind of like say you were talking about a gateway. And I think this this was a, a for me a good gateway into some some Tom Waits. Yeah, if you get if you if you try out that uh uh be, this is before that it's right before that which would be a uh, uh cold beer on a hot night live in Australia and then he does a lot of talking in between songs and he's really funny and um he creates a whole world that's not as freaky and that, that's a really that's a really good one that most people get into and if if you don't get into that then he's just not your dude. But uh, but that's like pre him getting weird. Some of his records from Swordfish Trombones out are really are really hard for people. Like Mule Variations is a pretty easy going one for a lot of people. Get into that one. Um, but the early stuff's great too. Uh, um, you know, so uh, you should. She, and also he's great for just pick a song, pick three songs out of a record. Uh, um, and it, for me, it's easy because he writes so many ballads, and it's, uh, so every record's full of gems to me. But if you're not a big ballad guy, then then um, then he's trickier. Yeah, and and Wayne, I think you'll probably get your wish to to talk about another Tom Waits record down the road. I mean, again, you brought this up, uh, Willie, that you wanted to talk about Tom Waits. Like I said, I've had two other guests that we've invited, and. and you know, I give people the the, the choice uh, of what record they want to talk about. And so we've had multiple people say Tom Waits. And, um, you know, I just had to tell them no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah sure. He's an acquired taste. A lot of guys don't like him. Uh, uh, there was a guy, of, of a really good friend of mine that's a big music fan. And, and uh, you know, I, I try to sell him on, on Waits forever. But... Uh, but I think it's like like the you know I grew up not really liking the Grateful Dead, and then a guy kind of schooled me on it, and eventually it I figured it out I figured out how I could get into them, and um and uh, so you know hopefully you guys will never get really into this record because that means you start your head starting to go sideways. Uh, but there are different avenues of weight. But if you don't like them, man, there's always other guys out there. Yeah, well, I'm not going to, I will still pull you out of a, a burning car, uh, even if you don't like uh, Tom Waits. What I find interesting is, is look, the, the people that I'm inviting to come on this podcast really are predominantly people that I want to talk to because I really dig whatever they're doing. And what I found was really interesting is that, you know, I invited you to come on this this podcast through an invitation from 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 Johnny and uh, the two other individuals that I'm talking about that that also chose weights. These are people that I I really love their music. And um, when I invited them and I'm like, what is what's the deal that I really like 
these certain artists and their music and obviously they're being influenced by tom waits but yet why don't i like the person who is influencing them and i don't know it's something that i'm probably going to analyze until we have the next guest on who talks about tom waits and well yeah and, man it's like some people i know i have a friend of mine and uh can't listen to neil young like just neil young's voice just yeah it, uh it wrecks her head and um I mean, you can't you can't really argue with that. If it if it doesn't if it doesn't feel good, uh, you know, there's always another another band, another artist to to listen to. Uh, you might think uh, she should be sentenced to you know life imprisonment for uh, that, but she can't help it. She just doesn't like it. Nope, and I I get it. I'm a Neil Young fan, so I totally yeah, get it too. when 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 people say, "Oh, I can't stand his voice." I'm like, I I like it. So. Yeah, it's like Dylan, man. I love the way Dylan sings, and uh, and uh, a lot of people don't. So, yeah. but you know, it's just life. If you if you can find anything you like musically, uh, I'm always a fan of just running for it head first and uh, and embrace whatever you like because it's just lucky to like anything. Yep, absolutely. All right, let's let's talk about our top five. So, what do you what do you think collectively was our top song? I'm, go- I'm going to sure, give you sure leave. Shore Leave, yep. Shore Leave was definitely our top song. That gave us uh, that gave an average score of 13. I will say we have a, a three-way tie for second. 16 shells from a 30 got six. That was more my doing. You're welcome. Um, Frank's Wild Years. I think collectively we were all cool with that one. And then Gin Soak Boy, um, and that was again more uh, more from from Wayne's doing with that being his top score. So that gave an average score of 11.33. And then rounding out our top five was in the neighborhood. We good with that top five? Did we? Yeah. I'm good with it. Did we, did we cover it? Did we miss anything in our analysis? No, man, I think we gave this record the once over twice, as they say. Ah. Yeah. I think so too. Cool. I, think, I think so yeah. too. So, so Willie, remind all of our guests where they can find all of your happenings uh, between you and the and the Delines. Oh, I mean, you can just find it on uh, Delines.com or Facebook or any of that stuff. Uh, yeah, we're touring in the fall in Europe, and then um, and then we're hiding out. We're, I, I, next week we're playing a festival in um, Montana, and then um, and we're recording and just. Just kind of stumbling along, and I'm just working on a novel right now. So, uh, cool. You know, same old stuff. Nice meeting you guys. Yeah, yeah it was so, great meeting you. So let's uh, let's wrap this up. So as a reminder, you can find all of our happenings on our Facebook page for the Records Revisited podcast. Uh, so we're on Instagram using the Records Revisited podcast hashtag. You can find us Apple Podcasts, Castbox, Stitcher, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show buy a t-shirt of the band, buy a record, visit a record store, and not just on Record Store Day. And we are Records Revisited, and we are... Out. Out. Out.